It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Happy Valentine's Day to you. How many of you got one of these on the way through the door? Praise God. We, we are so thankful for our marriage ministry here at the church, and generally we have a Valentine banquet. That's not going to happen this year, but we wanted to give you something special, and so this comes from our marriage ministry. You also receive some resources there, so for married couples, a number of great books that you can use to invest in your marriage, but as you enjoy the chocolate today, I hope you know that you're loved. Amen? You are loved today. We are in uh, the midst of a a series, and we're going to jump right into it. We're looking at spiritual disciplines, and uh, 12 disciplines, they really come out of the book by uh, Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. And I got to say, you know, when I originally thought about jumping into this series, I knew about the discipline of, of fasting and prayer and meditation, and man, I thought fasting was the hardest one. If I could get that down, then I'm going to be good. But as we continue in this, I got to say, especially this week, this, uh, this spiritual discipline we're going to talk about today is a hard one, okay? It's a heavy one. It's, it's a weighty one. And so I want to encourage you this morning, just open your heart to the Lord. I, I believe today that the Lord has a word for you. I know, again, it's been challenging me all week. We've said this about spiritual disciplines, that a, a spiritual discipline is a good habit that allows you to remain open to what God is doing and allows you to develop yourself spiritually. Uh, And from the very beginning, we said that the purpose of these disciplines is a total transformation of the self. These things are, are things that when we put them into practice, they bring about a lasting spiritual change. They shape us into the image of God, the Imago Dei. But we have to ask this this morning, what does it take to be made into the image of God? What does it take for us to be Christ ambassadors? The short answer is this, that we need each other in order to enable that. Understand, you and I were not created to be the image of God in isolation. We were not created to be the image of God independently. In fact, the very nature of God's image requires us to be dependent on him and interdependent on each other. And so the discipline that trains us away from our rebellion of independence, wanting to do everything our own way, is the discipline called submission. Now I want to do my best today to redeem this word submission for you because when we think of this word in our society, we tend to think of it as a sign of weakness. I don't know how many of you are into MMA fighting. You don't have to raise your hand, but you can think of an MMA fight, right, where somebody's got somebody else's face to the mat, maybe a little arm bar going on, and he just wants them to submit. And so we tend to think that submission is a sign of weakness, and if I can get you to submit to my will, then I'm stronger than you. But i got to say today, that is not a biblical understanding of submission. A biblical understanding of this word does not involve a breaking of the will of someone else. The verb actually describes a voluntary attitude of giving in and cooperating and assuming responsibility and carrying someone else's burdens. You have to keep in mind, again, that all of these spiritual disciplines that we're talking about, they all have a corresponding freedom. All of these disciplines, they lead to freedom. You know, when we think of discipline, sometimes we only think of what we have to give up. Right? Again, to use the example physically, when you want to get into shape 
Physically, we think, man, of all the things I got to give up, right? I got to stop eating the pizza and the french fries. I got to stop drinking that Coca-Cola, right? All the things that I have to give up. But I want you to understand there is a freedom that's gained as well, right? It's a freedom from sickness. It's a freedom from medication for some, right? And, And so understand this today. The ones who are most free are those who can say no as much as yes. We have this illusion of freedom in our society that being free is being able to do whatever I want to do. But the truth is you can't do whatever you want until you don't do a bunch of stuff that you want. Are you with me today? And so these spiritual disciplines, they're difficult, they're challenging, but ultimately they lead us to a place of freedom in our lives. Think about the discipline of fasting again, freedom from the control of food. It allows me to come to a place where I can feast on God's presence. The study of God's word, it gives me a freedom from the mind of man in order to take on the mind of Christ. Last week we talked about simplicity, right? This freedom from complexity, freedom from all of these things that hold us down, but it ultimately gives us freedom to come into a deeper experience of life in the kingdom of God. And so what is the corresponding freedom for the discipline of submission? It's this. It is the freedom to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. There is this obsession in our society to demand things go the way we want them to go. And I have to say, it is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. But as we follow this discipline of submission, we are released to drop the matter and to forget about it. And frankly, most things in life are not nearly as important as we think they are. Our lives will not come to an end if it does not happen exactly the way we think it should happen. Now, I want to start by looking at that corresponding freedom because I know that there's this initial reaction to this word submission because of the way our society looks at it again. Recognize today we have to be honest that there have been many abuses around this idea of submission that would cause us to to push back, right? And so the the word submission has unfortunately been misused. Even in the church, it's been misused to to, to cause really harm oftentimes to women who've heard, man, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands, and so I need to stay with a man who's abusing me. No, you don't. That's not what it's saying there. Really, it doesn't say it in quite that way. It's only in the context of mutual submission that it says that wives submit to your husbands because you know what? They have already submitted to Christ and they're submitted to you. But biblical submission, hear me today, is a freeing thing. Again, it helps us to lay down this terrible burden of always needing to get it our way. And yet it's another one of these disciplines that is so out of touch with the world that we live in. The the cry of our culture today is, man, you deserve to have your every need met, right? You can have it your way at Burger King, right? You can have it your way right away. You should never have to wait. You should never have to put aside anything that you want. Go ahead and get it. And yet the scripture presents a much different ideal for those who would call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. It's expressed in two synonymous terms of surrender and submission. And we said it last week that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. In the kingdom of God, we are not to rise up and demand what is coming to us. No, we are to, in love, voluntarily surrender our rights for the benefits of others. Now, the discipline of submission, it simply says this, I will get along. (laughs) 
I will play nice with others, right? I will not insist on my own way. Even when I'm right, I won't insist on always getting what I want. And when I do get what I want because someone else has made room to allow that, I'm not going to lord it over that person. And when I don't get what I want, and it turns out that what I wanted would have been the best, I don't gloat, I don't say, see, I told you so, right? You see, submission is really this. It's about choosing to align my life with someone else for the greater good. In marriage, it's this choice to lay aside my plans and my agendas. In friendship, the, the Word of God says two can't walk the same road unless they're agreed. And you say, man, I will never have a friend because there's always going to be some type of agreement. What's it saying there? In friendship, we submit to one another when we disagree. This is so challenging, though. Let's be honest. In our Western culture, because we have almost made a God of independence, Really, the Western culture is one of few cultures that you can actually live in independence. If you look at every other culture in the world, two-thirds of the world probably, you try to do that and you're going to die, right? Like think about it. In America, we're in trouble. We call 911 and all of a sudden the ambulance shows up, right? But in many other places, if you don't have a friend or a family member to bail you out, you're in some serious trouble. And so in America, we pride ourselves on independence. I don't need anybody. I got this. I can do it myself. And I have to ask this morning, is that really a good thing? You see, I think it leads to a lot of other problems in our lives. We have a generation right now, particularly I would say a young adult generation in our country that has this longing for community. And the the challenge is they haven't been taught how to live in community and be independent at the same time. And here's the reality. You can't. If you're going to choose to live in community with others, if you're going to live in harmony with others, you're going to have to forfeit some of your autonomy. Wow. I know that almost sounds un-American. That's okay. It's biblical, okay? You're going to have to make a decision. Out of a place of independence, yes, out of a place of independence, you have to make a decision to submit to the community. Listen, we have a name for the cells in the body that insist on going their own way, right? It's called cancer. And I have to say, there is a cancer in the body of Christ that focuses more on independence than submission. In a church culture that stresses leadership, that focuses so much on leadership, I need to say this today, you cannot lead unless you first learn to submit. And if your idea of submitting to leadership is complaining while you submit, you haven't learned to submit. If your idea of submitting is saying, see, I told you so, when things turn out as you expected, you haven't learned to submit. I'm not a soldier myself, but I've been told this, that the first year for soldiers in the Army and the Marines, it's all about breaking down your independence and teaching you how to follow directions so that the second year they can teach you how to lead. I'll tell you what, there is something to be said about the idea of choosing to align our wills with that of another so we can be stronger together than we are apart. But submission, it can't be forced. It can only be earned and offered. And if we're going to learn to, to, from the life of Jesus, if we're going to learn from him, man, we've got a lot to learn, right? We do. And the first lesson we can learn is this, to submit our wills to his. It's so important that we understand we can learn this from Jesus because he himself knew how to submit. Man, he modeled it for us. He, he learned how to lay down his right to self-assertion. Jesus 
Look at Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning there in verse 5, it says this, you must, underline that, underline that word must. In other words, you don't have a choice here. It says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, in other words, because he did this, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to see clearly that when Jesus asks us to obey him in this discipline of submission, that he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. He has submitted. And in his submission to the Father, he modeled for us the way to live. Three or four verses, I want you to see why he does this. John chapter 5, verse 19 says, So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. Now I have to ask you today, is that true? I mean, is that true that, that Jesus could do nothing by himself. Well, no, I mean, he's God, right? I, he is, he's God. So is that, is that true? Well, here's the deal. He says the son can do nothing because here's the reality. The son has chosen to do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that's what Jesus, the son does, because he is willingly living into a, a submission to his father. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. True or not? I, I, again, he's saying, I am choosing to submit to the Father. He says, I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me and not my own will. John 12, 49, I don't speak on my own authority, Jesus says. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it, and I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Jesus is communicating here, the things that I do and say are because I'm living in submission to the will and the work of my Father. Jesus is saying that his love for the Father compels him to the degree that he cannot do what he would have otherwise been able to do. And this is how Jesus made all his decisions. He healed the people that he healed because that's what he saw the Father doing, right? Why did he teach the things that he taught? He could have taught so many things. It's because it's what he heard the Father saying. You see, for Jesus, it's like, man, what else am I going to do, right? What else could I possibly do but live my life in submission to the will of my Father? I need to be faithful to what he said. And so Jesus shows us submission in its truest form. And if we're going to learn to follow Jesus, we need to learn to follow him in his submission because he knows that the Father knows best. But here's a dilemma for a lot of us. If we're honest, we're not convinced the Father knows best. 
Like we really think our shortcut and our pathway is going to get us there quicker. And so we end up lost. We end up confused because we're trusting our own sense of direction. But Jesus was God in the flesh, but he wasn't listening to his flesh. He was submitted to his father. He knew his father's voice. And here's the thing today. Jesus invites us, all of us, into that very same pattern and practice of living. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now, when we read that, we can hear that with a little bit of a tone, right? Like, if you love me, just do what I say, right? If fathers, when we're questioned, it's because I'm your father, right? So just do it, right? But I don't think there's any tone here. Because here's the reality, as you grow and, and mature, here's what you're going to find out. Jesus is really saying to us, I don't want you to do what you do out of fear because you're afraid that I'm going to strike you down if you don't do it. First John 4, 18, such love, the love of God has no fear because perfect love casts out. It expels all fear. It, it says, if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. God says, my love has made it possible to count on you, not because of coercion and not because of guilt, but because of the most popular force on the planet. It is because of love. Love's the only thing that'll do that. We love Christ, why? Because he first loved us, right? His love has brought about a response from our lives. And so get this, Jesus is inviting us into this level of love and intimacy with him that brings us to a place where it is not challenging to respond to what he says. What ultimately enables true submission, it is love. It was Augustine who said this, love God and do what you will. What? <laughs> love God and do what you will. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, man, this love, when you truly understand the love of God, when you truly love God, it's going to bring your life into alignment and, and dependent upon this relationship with God. And what was it that God commanded us to do because of our love for him? He said this, love one another. He says, as I have loved you, love one another. Understand, love is a command and forgiveness is an act of obedience. 1 John 4.21, and he has given us this command, those who love God must also, there's that must word again, man, must also love their fellow believers. Understand, you can't be closer to God than you are to the people you love the least. See, God sets this bar, man. It's a high bar, right? Because he knows this, that grudges are like cancer, and, and unforgiveness, man, it, it'll eat you away. Bitterness chains us to the past. It destroys families. It divides churches. It, it ruins relationships. And so we need to know how to forgive. How did Christ love? Well, he submitted himself to us. He laid down his life for us. He didn't insist on his own way. In the garden, Jesus could have chosen any. He did want to choose another way, right? Yet out of his love for the Father and his love for us, he said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done, Father. And so Jesus says to us, when you do this well, when you love each other well, this is how the world will know that you're aligned with me. First John 4.20, if you go back a verse there, it says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Well, that's a strong word, isn't it? Not my words. So John there, right? For if we don't love people we can see, he says, how 
can we love God whom we cannot see? And so this is the sign that you're a disciple of Christ when you love others even when it's not convenient. When you love others even when it costs you something. When you lay down your life for your, en- for your friends but also for your enemies, right? Why? Because that is the kind of person you are. You've been shaped, you've been formed into loving submission because we see it clearly modeled in Jesus' life. We are invited into it with one another. And in the end, it doesn't matter what you think about this. It matters what love does. How many of you would love to live in this community, a community where you are loved unconditionally, where others put you first and look out for your own interests? How many of you would love to live into that, right? That sounds great. Like, sign me up, right? Okay, who wants to pay the price for that type of community? (laughs) We love to say, you know what, you go first and I'll follow suit, right? You begin to love me that way and I'll follow. But here's the reality. Jesus knew the way we think and so he did not trust us to go first. Jesus went first. Understand, when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, he's not saying, wives, you go first. No, he's saying, husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church and gave his life for us. See, it's the love of Christ that makes it possible for us as the church to submit ourselves to Christ. And so what makes it possible for a wife to submit to her husband? It's when she knows that her husband has already submitted himself to her. He's already laid down his desires and his dreams and his ambitions in order to serve her hopes and her dreams and her ambitions. You you see, when this is the understanding in marriage, then together as a couple, you can say, you know what, forget about my hopes and, and my dreams and my ambitions. Let's figure out what we can do together. Because together we can do something that neither of us would have been able to do independently. You know, that's the real joy of marriage, right? When you can look back after so many years and say, man, look at what we accomplished together. I could have never done this on my own. But do you see what God's up to here, church? This is genius. I mean, it's brilliant. It's so brilliant that we miss it because it doesn't fit into the thinking of our society. Society tells us how to get ahead. They say, you got to go out and you got to get yours. Society tells us that we will succeed by self-assertion. It's by doing whatever you got to do to manipulate the outcome in your favor. And if that's the kingdom that you want to live into, I say, good luck with that, right? See how that turns out for you. You could end up very rich and very much alone. But if you want to learn to be the image of God, if you want to live into the Imago day, submission is the only way to get there. And you will have to begin to change your behavior before your beliefs follow. You're going to have to choose to submit before you feel like it. I know some people say, Pastor, I'm, I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. So what? You're going to have to trust before another has earned your trust. You have to become so sure of who you are that you can absorb the disappointments of others without being rattled. The only way that you get to that place that Jesus calls us to, the only way you can love your enemies is by being so solid and strong that you no longer even recognize others as enemies. Just like Jesus hanging on the cross while they're mocking him, while they're spitting at him. What does he say? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And Jesus invites us into this new reality. He teaches us that submission is central to our witness. Jesus says to his disciples, they're arguing one day about who's going to be the greatest. Imagine this. They're following and they're arguing about who gets to be number one. And Jesus calls them together and he says this, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people 
and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Understand, this is not a strategy to get ahead. It is a mark of greatness to serve. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. How many of you are thankful this morning that you've been served by Jesus? All right? Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't insist on your own way. Because the cross would have been empty that day. And here's the reality, we know this today, that Jesus still comes and he still meets us in the midst of all our craziness. He still meets us in in the midst of all of our failures and all of our struggles. He takes all the brokenness of our lives and somehow he weaves it into the story of our lives and somehow he redeems all of those things. And you ask, how in the world does he do that? It's by leading with love. In church, there is an enormous amount of freedom that comes from not having to be right and not having to have the final word. And so Jesus invites us into this way of living in our relationships with one another. Back to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Paul writes these words. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. You must, again, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then again, he goes on to explain that attitude, what it is, right? But let's be real this morning. This is hard, <laughs> right? Like this is, this is difficult. It, it's so hard for us. I mean, we can't even merge onto the Palisades Parkway without getting into a fight, right? Come on. I, I mean, that is the embodiment of, of submission. It's about giving way and making room to others. Give way and make room. We say, no, man, if that guy gets in front of me, I'm going to be stuck behind him for the next three miles. I need to teach him how to drive, right? Come on. I need to make sure he knows he's supposed to move over, okay? Here's the reality. We don't like to yield when we drive, but we don't like to yield in a lot of other areas of our lives. It, It affects so many places in our lives, even our relationships in the body of Christ. Why? Because we know better. Tell you what, at the root, it's about pride. And our inability sometimes to submit, to yield, and to make room, it says so much more about our own insecurities and fears than anything else. When I'm more controlling of the people around me, when I'm anxious about what everybody else is doing rather than looking internally, it's because I, at my core, I'm terrified that somebody will find out how out of control I really am. And so how do we work this teaching of submission into our lives practically? Well, Paul fleshes it out in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Understand it's our reverence for Christ that establishes our connection to God the Father, right? And now we can be interdependent. We can be mutually submissive to one another. Why? Because I don't have to have my own back. 
I don't need to worry about my status and my reputation. Like we said last week, we understand, man, we have a heavenly father who knows our needs, and so I don't need to guarantee outcomes in my life. I need to trust that he is in control. I don't need to push you down to defend myself to get ahead. No, hear, hear this today. Hear this about, uh, about submission. This is not about weakness. You cannot submit to others if you are weak. You can only submit to others if you're strong. Let me say that again today. You, you cannot submit to others if you're weak. You can only submit to others if you are strong, if you have an understanding of who you are in Christ. You see, again, Paul talks about wives submitting to husbands and husbands submitting to wives, but this is only possible if they've both submitted to Christ. Submission is the only thing that makes marriage possible. In fact, it's the only thing that makes friendship possible. You're going to have to live with someone who is not you. And guess what? They're going to have to learn to live with you, right? You're going to have to walk together, and at times you won't agree. And in order to keep walking together, somebody's going to have to submit. There are times in life where you will have to decide, do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship? And countless marriages and relationships have been sacrificed at the altar of pride. The relationship has been sacrificed because neither one could submit to the will of someone else. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's writing there about unity in the body, and he says this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Lead a life worthy of your calling. What does that look like? He says this, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you, as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. Do you see what God is doing here? He's bringing us into alignment with each other. And then verse 7. However, he has given each one of us special, a special gift through the generosity of Christ. He says he's given each one of us a special gift, a unique gift. That's the great thing about the body of Christ. We are all different, right? We're, we're all different, and we can all be uniquely us and still be a part of the body. We can still be a part of the oneness that belongs to Christ, you see, by yourself, some of us, we're just crazy by ourselves, right? No one would give you the time of day by yourself, but what makes it possible for you to be crazy? Hey, man, there's a family that loves you, right? There's those that surround you. Think about it. Everybody's got that crazy uncle, right? The one who comes home for the holidays. What, what makes it possible for him to come home? It's because he's family, and he has a place here, and he's home, and he's crazy, and everyone knows it, right? But he's family, and if it wasn't for the family, he'd be sitting at home talking to himself. But he has family and he has a place. Listen, there are people in the church that you will never get along with. There are people in this body that something's just going to rub you the wrong way. That's okay. Get along with them anyway. You see, what Paul is saying is here's, here is he's saying be a part of the solution of unity. Be a part of the solution of unity. And then in that setting, your individuality can flourish. 
when we're not threatened by the giftings of others, when we encourage them to flourish in their call, the body is strengthened and we actually flourish. And we can do far more together than we could ever do on our own. This is why Satan will always attack the unity of the church. Our physical bodies have no problem with this understanding, right? Our physical bodies... Don't take a vote on who gets to be the knee today. The knee's the knee. It just, it functions as a knee and it does pretty well, right? But, but in our culture, the knee would say, you know what, I've been down here a long time. I, I think it's time that I, I move up, right? No, no, no. The knee can't be an elbow. The, the knee operates as a knee and it does it pretty well. But what makes this kind of submission possible that we're talking about today? It's laying aside my will for the will of another. It's not having to be right. It's not having to always have the last word. It's not having to say, see, I told you so. It's not being resentful when I don't get my way. And what makes that possible? I'll tell you this as we close today. It's a subdiscipline that we're going to talk about in a few weeks. It's the discipline of confession. And the discipline of confession says this, I'm going to choose to own my own shortcomings. I'm not going to focus on you. I'm going to choose to own my own shortcomings. Now, why is that so important for us? Because when I look at my own shortcomings, I'm less concerned at pointing out everybody else's, right? And because of our ability to own our own shortcomings, it allows us to see, man, we are all grateful. We all stand in need of Christ's submission to the cross. If he had not humbled himself, I'd be doomed, right? If he had not surrendered his will for my good, I would be forever lost. And if he is calling me now to follow his example, how can I not do the same thing for someone else? We can't love Jesus without loving his bride. You know how you love me? You honor my bride. You honor my wife, right? I feel loved when you bless her. Why? Because I love her. And so hear me today, you cannot love Jesus without loving his bride. The way you love him well is by loving one another. I just want to say it again. Sometimes you're going to have to choose. You can be right or you can be in a relationship. You can focus only on the faults of others or you can make allowances, as he says here, for others' faults. And to make allowance means this. It's to take a charitable view and consider the circumstances of that individual's life. And to know this, man, people change over time. So don't cling to a limited, outdated view of them. Try to see them as they are today. Understand this, most people are doing their best based on the knowledge and the understanding they have right now, and so give them a break. Why? Because of love. Christ is calling us, church. I believe this. He's calling us to be patient with one another. He's calling us to make allowances for one another's faults, to submit to one another in love. This is the witness that Jesus points to, the only one. They will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to close with this quote from Tozer, and I came across it yesterday, and I got to warn you, it's a heavy one. But I want to encourage you, before we worship today, to sit under the weight of this a little bit. A.W. Tozer wrote these words. He said this, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. And perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. 
We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of Mansell and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. Wow, right? Listen, church, I know this is a heavy word. Your attitude must be the same as that of Christ. I'm going to confess to you this morning, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but I, I want to be. I want to live a life of humility and gentleness. I, I want to be patient with others. I, I want to make allowances for the faults of others. I want people to know, man, even when they mess up, you're still loved. And so that's my prayer today. God, make me more like that. Allow me to submit to believers in the body the way that you have submitted for me. But I want to tell you, it takes courage to pray that kind of prayer. Here's the thing about submission. It gets easier as you grow in Christ. But right now, you, maybe some of you say, yeah, i got to work at that. i got to work at that. But here's the reality is God's spirit lives inside of you. You're no longer a slave to sin. And God knows it's hard for you to give forgive. Some of you right now, the enemy's bringing hurts to your mind. You say, it's hard, Pastor. Man, there's some deep-seated hurts there, but he will give you the grace to do it if you ask for it. And so with heads bowed around the room, would you just take a moment and let that be your prayer. God, help me. Help me, Lord, in this area. Lord, help me to submit, Lord God, to you first of all, but to, to others, Lord God, to make way and to give room, Lord God, to consider others better than myself before we close with a song. Just take a moment, if that's your prayer, to seek the Lord in this moment.